Hello everyone, welcome to what we may call episode 6 of this audio space that seeks to keep conversations about the American Educational Studies Association, ASA, going throughout the year. My name is Tim Morria and I'm the Communications Chair of ASA. I'm also an Assistant Professor of Learning and Instruction at the University at Buffalo. In this episode, we have a short conversation with Dr. T. Jamison Brewer about his position as the ASA Secretary. Dr. Brewer is an Associate Professor of Social Foundations of Education in the Teacher Education Department at the University of North Georgia. His teaching experience spans from the middle school, high school, undergraduate, master's, and doctoral levels. He received his PhD in Educational Policy Studies from the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. He completed an MS in Social Foundations of Education from Georgia State University and a BS in Secondary Education of History with a minor in Anthropology from Valdosta State University. Broadly conceptualized, Dr. Brewer's research focuses on the impacts of privatization and marketization of public education by way of school vouchers, charter schools, and homeschooling. He is also interested in the impact that alternative teacher certification programs, for example, Teach for America, have had and continue to have on the teaching profession and public education. Additionally, he is interested in the role of venture philanthropy in educational reform. His scholarly work has been published in peer-reviewed journals, such as the American, or sorry, such as Educational Policy Analysis Archives, Educational Studies, Urban Education, Critical Education, the Peabody Journal of Education, Critical Questions in Education, and Policy Features in Education. He is co-editor of the book Teach for America Counter Narratives, Alumni Speak Up and Speak Out, which has received attention and acclaim from outlets such as NPR's Marketplace, NPR's Code Switch, The Washington Post, Rethinking Schools, and Teaching for Change. He serves as the associate editor of the Journal of Educational Foundations, serves as a scholar at Scholars Strategy Network, is a fellow at the National Educational Policy Center, and a faculty fellow at the Center for Evaluation and Educational Policy. We hope you look forward to some of the inside kind of nuts and bolts of keeping ASA up to date. All right, uh, Jamison, thanks so much for uh, being with us today and, and chatting about, you know, all the important work you do uh, with ASA. Would you please introduce yourself, uh, your faculty role, and, and your position at ASA? Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Tim. Um, my name is Jamison Brewer. I'm an associate professor of Foundations of Education at the University of North Georgia. I teach um, in the Teacher education department primarily teach undergraduate pre-service education teachers and, and do some graduate level um, teaching as well. Um, as the secretary of education, um, which I'm, I'm happy to have been uh, chosen for this role uh, formally or earlier this year, I had the pleasure of serving as the interim um, almost starting a year ago and, and seeing through the, the most recent um, conference that we had in Pittsburgh. But, you know, I've been a part of AESA since I was a master's student. I think uh, my first conference was in 2011. Um, ASA's, um, the, the conference that I've always considered to be my home conference. You know, my I had the, the pleasure of doing a, a master's of social foundations of education uh, at Georgia State. And 
there was a, a big tradition of folks from Georgia State being a part of AESA. Uh, went went on to the University of Illinois to do a PhD in education policy, which which traditionally folks who do education policy don't tend to. Um, they're generally not interested in in things like social foundations. They're not interested in qualitative research. Uh, they, they tend to be more quantitative and policy driven. Um, and not that I'm not policy driven, but I think that what I've always enjoyed about AESA is being able to be a policy person in the foundation space and to bring those two worldviews together uh, in, in, in both in, in my own learning, my own understanding of the world and the academy, but also in the work that I do. So secretary, um, secretary, a lot of the work is behind the scenes. It, uh, it can feel, from my side, I can tell you can feel messy quite a bit, um, fielding lots of emails that, and phone calls and conversations. Um, mundane, just answering questions about whether particular members, membership is up to date, when it's going to expire, processing payments for membership, those sorts of things, helping the program coordinator plan and think through the upcoming conference, working with Pam, who's our great executive director, and the rest of the folks on executive council. So it's lots of little things, and uh, I can tell you it, it, it can feel overwhelming at times, Right, because I think that all of us get used to having little things that can, that can feel that this is not a big deal. I can take care of this. They do come in, but I see it as the role of secretary is taking those things, both from the mundane to the very important and serious and problematic when they do arise, and working through them, both in the things that I can handle myself, but also delegating throughout the rest of the EC or our, our director or whoever it might be. So that member experience of AESA, both at the conference and, and hopefully throughout the whole year, right? I, I think that as secretary, something that I want to see is membership be able to experience our organization throughout the year, right? And that it's not just our annual conference, which is a great conference, right? We all need to be there. We all need to be engaged in that. But creating a membership experience that that enables this organization to provide value for our members that they find, but then also gives them platforms uh, to share their work, to share their lives, to build community with each other. Um, so that's a really long answer to your first question, Tim, but uh, it, secretary's a lot, um, but at the end of the day, it is logistics and, and being as helpful as I can to as many people as I can. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, you know, that's it's a lot of the work, I think, that, you know, goes unseen. But as you said, you know, our uh, who's now our executive director, um, you know, uh, Pam Conkle has been doing for, for many years and, and you have taken, you know, taken it up, um, you know, seamlessly. So we're very thankful. Um, you know, some of the things that you and I have talked about, um, both just kind of uh, you know, personally, but also at the executive uh, committee level is just, you know, how can we increase transparency? How can we continue and make, um, you know, ASA something that not only has a wonderful feeling for, for all of us that consider it our home, right, but also really helps us professionally. Um, and so, you know, based on those couple of things, you know, what are, and you started to talk about this, but what are some things that, you know, you're hoping um, to do as secretary, um, besides, obviously, just keeping the ship, you know, running. But, you know, are there other things that you're hoping to do to continue and improve, you know, ASA? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, and speaking of transparency, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to talk about this, but I want to be clear from the beginning. Um, me wanting 
to help facilitate greater transparencies, not to suggest that there's been an effort at in, in by folks in the past to be to be less than transparent. That's that's not the point. The, but the point is that I think that I think that we need to build systems that that can convey the message of both what the EC is doing and the member membership is doing and bring those two things together. The, the way that I liken it, at least in, in the work that I've been doing, is that the work that we do in teacher education and foundations is really good. But I think historically speaking, the academy, we're very good at sending out educators into the world, but then we sort of lose connection with that, you know, quote unquote, real world K-12 experience, right? And so I think that most of us, and particularly foundations, see the need to bridge this gap between the work that we do in preparing educators and the world of current in-service educators, right? And so when I say transparency, that's what I mean, right? Like, how can we create better avenues for both the executive council and membership and and not just active members, right? But how can we bring uh, folks who have let their membership expire in the past for myriad reasons, right? Professionally, personally, those sorts of things. Bring them, give them reasons to come back in because we are having a larger conversation. We're sharing information such that folks see where the money's going when they pay their membership. They understand what the costs are with with a, uh, a hosting a conference. Can tell you that. Um, I was never really as both as a, a master student, a doctoral student, a junior faculty. I never really concerned myself with, you know, paying the membership and where the money was being spent. And I never felt that if I asked, somebody wouldn't have told me. But just being upfront and saying, here's this money. Here's where it's going. Here's how it's being spent. These are the things we're thinking about doing. We invite you, the membership, to give us feedback. We invite you, the membership, to give us ideas and to help us think through these things so that EC is not working in an echo chamber and our membership is not existing in an echo chamber, right? So how do we bring those together uh, for conversations? And and in thinking about that, and, you know, we, I facilitated a, uh, a post-conference survey this year, which I, I think is the, the first of its kind, or at least the first in a long time, to, to gauge membership sentiment about the most recent conference and, and helping EC think through logistics and ideas moving forward. But something that everybody, nearly everybody in the survey mentioned about AES and their relationship to it is how much they absolutely love the communities that get developed at the conference, right, that that do carry them throughout the year. But at the same time, I think that there's some room for growth, and, and we can put this underneath the, the umbrella of transparency, if that's what we want to call it, but there's room for growth in formalizing some better opportunities for people to get connected when they're at the conference, right? So we, we do a really good job of creating community, but I think that as a, as a community, we need to do a better job of making it easier for different communities who are at the conference to come together, but then also, and, and particularly for graduate students uh, who might be at the conference uh, without a mentor. I mean, I, the uh, all of the AESA conferences I went to as a grad student, I didn't really have a, a formal mentor, right? So I was sort of this, this lone graduate student. And, and that can be really um, intimidating to be at an academic conference, to not have any community, to not have any connections formally with folks there. So I think we can do a better job of, of creating and facilitating ways for the development of community, the connection, and the the connection of community and bringing those together. So thinking through the development of some affinity groups, 
incorporating some use of technology and QR codes and signups and things like that for folks to say, hey, listen, yeah, I'm a foodie. I love to go uh, have a nice meal. Uh, who else here at AESA, you know, is a foodie, right? And being able to meet up and, and have some options. Uh, I can tell you that I've already actually started using chat GPT uh, to generate some um, what I'm, I've sort of created this folder of hospitality uh, information for our members. And I literally asked chat GPT, listen, uh, here's where we're having this conference. Um, if folks want to be able to have a 10 minute walk you know, what are the restaurants in the area? And then, you know, divide them out based on price points, right? So members are going to be given this information. Uh, again, the whole thing is to make the experience for membership better. And whether that is simply putting them in touch with uh, an easier access version of the, the conference program, sending out emails on a regular daily basis, working with, with Tim here to send updates as they happen to the schedule and to have better signage throughout to create the opportunity for more formalized ways to join communities. Um, again, it, that's a lot. That's a, a sort of a word, a word vomit of things. Again, I, the work of secretaries a lot, but um, it, creating a better experience, um, I think, and, and stay, staying true to the commitments that our membership have about being open, being honest, being welcoming um, to anybody who, who would find themselves at our conference and then carry that throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that you said at the beginning, and I'm so glad that you did, was was just talk about that, that none of these things are because, um, you know, there were big issues in the past, right? It, it's because... As you, said, as you said, right, that these are the things that we continue to hear makes ASA special. And so we want to build on those things, right? Um, you know, I had a number of folks whose first, you know, meeting was last year and they're like, I'm coming back because, you know, it is this really nice intersection of people that care deeply about really important problems, right? Um, and, and that are willing to invest in, in community. Um, you know, and, and one of the things that you had talked about and, and we talked about as well is, is, you know, we want to be able to really highlight the great work um, and oftentimes interdisciplinary and, and sometimes, right, the, the work that's being done at different kind of angles, like you even mentioned for yourself, of our members. And so in that spirit and, and kind of to close out our conversation, we would love to hear um, any work that you're doing or that you're launching that you would like to highlight um, and talk through. Yeah, happy to. Uh, we are putting the final touches on a uh, study, a longitudinal study that we have been doing at my institution for the last five years. We, and to give us some brief context, this we, we were interested in this question really before this sort of national conversation about all things CRT and critical race theory and, and you know these sorts of things. But we were interested in the question of what is the actual impact in on student dispositions before they come to us in a series of foundations courses and then after they have completed a sequence of courses with us, right? So we're interested in these folks who we are sending into the classroom, do the courses, do the conversations, do the readings that we have them do in our class. Do they matter in the sense of, is it changing out outlooks? Is it changing dispositions? And, and with particular interest, does it have an impact on how our future teachers think about issues of privilege, think about issues of race, think about issues of class, right? And, and in what ways and, and how do they actually 
prioritize those dispositions, both as an individual, but also in thinking about their future work, right? And what we have found is that our students, and, and a lot of this is contextual to the institution we're at, I, I can tell my institution, we, we have five different campuses. I teach what, what we would consider to be the flagship institution. You know, we are a military college. We're one of the five or six military colleges in the country, but we have a long tradition of having a robust social foundations of education program within our teacher education um, department. Um, but our students are largely first generation, typically coming from relatively impoverished background and almost exclusively white. So we, we've always had interesting conversations and thoughts about how to have talks about privilege in our classrooms, right? Because if we, we, we've learned that if we walk into a classroom and the first thing that we say in the foundations class is, hey, let's talk about white privilege. Usually we get lots of pushback, right? Because the, these are students who are coming from an understandable place of not seeing directly their lives having been privileged, right? They're white, but they're coming from, you know, they're coming from the holler, right? They're, they're coming from trailer parks and those sorts of things. So that's a difficult conversation. So we build community with them. We, we talk about, we create sort of a, a class consciousness first, and then we start to talk about issues of race, right? And so our, our big question has been, what has been the impact of this? I can tell you, and again, we're finalizing the paper now. Our students, when they come to us, very much believe in merit. They believe in meritocracy. They believe in the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. They do not believe that race privilege is a thing. They do not believe that classism is a thing. By the time they leave us, not only do they acknowledge and wholeheartedly believe and understand that privilege is real, that race and racism are still alive in this world and often exacerbated in K-12 classrooms and that classism is a real thing. So we're seeing this dramatic shift in their thinking. Now, I, as a policy person, when we saw this data, my first thought was, well, goodness, if I go down to the state capitol right now and present this data, this is going to be exhibit A on how universities are, quote unquote, indoctrinating students, right? But what we've also tracked throughout this time is their self-identified political affiliation in the, and how they vote. What we found is that there's really no change in how these students are claiming their, their identity politics, right? So the majority of our students uh, at the beginning, at baseline, um, self-identify as conservative, self-identify as Republican. By the end of the time we're capturing data, they're still relatively um, self-identifying the exact same way as they were three years prior, four years prior. But they are far more open to notions about or all issues related to equity and justice. And for me, that's what I'm interested in, right? I mean, I how a particular student votes, I don't care, right? I, I've never cared about that. But it is important for me in the preparation of teachers to make sure that when we are sending them out into the classroom that they understand issues of equity and justice, they understand how to identify deficit ideologies and to try to move past them before they get into a classroom in front of other people's children, right? Who are, given where they are going to teach are generally largely not white. So, mm -hmm. and, and uh, I'll wrap this up. Basically, we are finding that the social foundations of education courses, at least in our context, provide incredible value in expanding the worldview and understanding of future teachers without actually having an impact on their politics. So we think that it is important work that we can share uh, with policymakers to say, hey, listen, 
these future teachers are learning important things. They're learning to be more inclusive. They're learning to be on the lookout for deficit ideologies. But you really don't need to worry. If they were voting for you as a Republican before, they're probably still voting for you now. They just might be a little bit more empathetic towards other people when they do that. Wonderful. Yeah, it's, um, I, I mean, I'm sure you will, but please pass that along to me when you're done because then I can uh, put it on, obviously, the, the weekly roundup um, because the, I think there's some intersections with some work that I'm thinking about as well. But thanks so much for um, all of your work um, in terms of ASA. Um, and, you know, hopefully I'm not speaking um, out of turn here when I say that if any members have, you know, any suggestions, ideas, questions that um, your email is as open as mine is. Um, so is, is that the case? <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, that is absolutely the case. All right. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much, Jameson. I really appreciate your time. And, and we'll we'll see, maybe even talk to you before. Um, before November.